You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the ProSound Web Podcast Network. Signal to Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their new line of Pro Studio headphones and the A131 and A133 large diaphragm studio condenser microphones at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath has asked us to read this. Have you noticed that all good things come in threes? XLR, AES, meat, cheese, and tortillas, Michael Lawrence, Chris Leonard, and Kyle Chernside, and now the Allen and Heath AHM Matrix family, AHM 64, AHM 32, and AHM 16. 96 kilohertz FPGA-powered sonic powerhouses for projects of all sizes. Who says matrices have to be boring? Not us. We've never said that. Kyle said it once, but we proved him wrong. Check them out today. Welcome to the Singles and Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. I am Chris Leonard, joined by the swole Kyle Churnside. Kyle Churnside, Hello. how's it going? Hello. 100, 150 plus episodes and no one ever said, hey, are you guys naked? They have, they have way better questions than that. Like, <laughs> none of our listeners ever assume strange things do they no that they don't i mean you send us nude pictures because you're where you want to show off like what's your body fat right now like you're like you're eight percent eight percent yeah dude you're, you're, you're and i'll be 50 in july so yeah. i'm working hard <laughs> that's awesome um yeah so it, we we had a we had a misschedule thing happen tonight all good uh that means that i get to hang out with you kyle which you know i was jealous of sam getting to fly solo with you so hey i'll fly solo with you it's uh they're fun episodes when we can just bounce off of each other i think um we've all had the opportunity but this is yours and i's first opportunity that's right definitely uh want to send some shout outs um i noticed that we're getting a lot and a lot a lot of overseas out of the United States, out of North America, out of the Americas period, uh, joining our discord and joining our Facebook group. So welcome. Um, we're going to have to start doing translations. I think possibly say good day (laughs) and I'll see you at Maccas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Discord can go good. Um, also go follow our, um, somewhat new Instagram account. Uh, we were kind of late on getting that out at second Noise podcast. Um, you know, Hey, tag us in your stories and pictures of the gigs you're out there working. We want to see what's out there. If you spot another, um, person of the community or one of the hosts or whatever out in the wild um it's been fun to kind of see obviously michael's been out and about a lot lately he's been bumping into all the greats and uh kyle's making his way around with zach brown band so if you happen to be any, uh zach brown brown happens to be in a town near you make sure you, you hit up kyle and um and i'll i'll make it around at some point nam we're gonna be at nam or at least michael and i will be at nam so make sure you hit us up there and uh yeah good times the community is busy it is busy. I yeah. will say one of the coolest ones that you um, posted recently that I, I think it begs mentioning is burning or cutting the vinyl records at the Nashville SC um, for their soccer team. Yeah. I think that's super cool. 
Yeah, and we're gonna have we're gonna have her on the podcast. Uh, we're in a few weeks. We're gonna interview her all about that. So, yep. I don't know how many uh, football slash soccer fans we have out there, um, but I'm sure it's quite a few. I've been watching a ton of the Premier League stuff. Uh, I'd love to get one of those uh, broadcast audio people from those events to come on. I I know we haven't really touched on that, but everywhere. It seems like but the United States, soccer slash football is the biggest thing next to F1 and car racing. So, you know, that'd be fun to do. Uh, major events coming up. Obviously, Premier League will be wrapping up here in a little bit. Go Man City. Um, I know Liverpool's on their heels. Chelsea, Tottenham, one other one. But it's super interesting to me because it's one of those things that's larger than life everywhere but here. <laughs> This is true. Very true. So uh, let's uh, let's. I, you know, we, I made a post on our Facebook or Discord. Ask ask for some questions and topics or thoughts or whatever. Um, and uh, and you guys delivered a few. So we'll maybe uh, let's maybe touch on them. Um, yeah. You know, what's uh, Ed Hall mentioned? Why vocalists should bring their own mic with them? It's their instrument. And, and I think it's interesting because I think probably depends on the level. But I mean, Kyle, you've probably worked in some environments where that makes sense. So what's your what's your thoughts on that, Kyle? Kind of like what we talked about before we started and hit the old record button. Um, very situation dependent. I think in this day and time, uh, for sanitary reasons, it, it's a huge thing. Um, uh, you know, but stick to something common. You know, uh, 58, uh, a Sennheiser, you know, just stick to a common microphone. Don't show up with something crazy um, because it might not be quite the application that you're using it. And then I'd say mid-level, like theater, club touring bands might be a good idea for the sanitation reason. And I think also um, if you're able to carry your own front house or monitor engineer selection would then be something that you would look into you know something to match your voice where um pas become a little bit more consistent maybe not much at a club or theater level but they come a little bit more consistent for maybe in-ear monitoring at that point Mm -hmm. or whatever direction you're going and then for sure uh arena to stadium level uh here's a funny thing most engineers don't get to pick the microphone that they use because usually that comes with an endorsement program. Um, So money becomes involved at that level. And usually that endorsement program comes with wireless or RF based stuff or packages of things. If you use this thing, you have to use this thing. Um, So money becomes a a, a thing as well. I, and I will say this, that's why I really enjoy one, the Heil microphone bit is because they tend to endorse the mixer of that thing and not that thing. Obviously, they'll push the band as well because some of the bands are up and coming and, and they're not even traveling yet. And that's how they'll get it out. But um, 
I think that's the three levels of it. What yeah. are your thoughts? Well, I, I thought the, the only other thing that comes to mind would be um, the punk and emo scene. If you're taping up your mic cable to your mic and that's your shtick, uh, which it's still a thing, then obviously yep. you're going to want to do that to your own mic and not, um, you know, gaff house or duct mic. tape out. Yeah, house mic. Yeah, I mean, that would be the other area there. Notable mention. Um, definitely toured with a hardcore band that brought their own taped up microphone and if you like breaking mic stands just don't break the houses come <laughs> break break your own you know yeah uh one tour i did with um the fabulous fallout boy pete wentz broke a mic stand every every day of tour and we used those super heavy weighted based atlas mm-hmm. but instead what we did is uh atlas provided us with the smaller weighted base cheaper ones and we broke those every night and then sometimes we'd even give them away at the end of the night yeah. it was kind of like oh your ticket came with a free gift here's a set list and and the mic stand well and um, i know uh resner uh nine inch nails he um sure had a deal with him where he would get an allotment of microphones per night because so there's literally some dude's job to sit downstage center with a mic selector switch between six different 58s because he was constantly throwing them around or chucking them out or this that and the other through the night so they would get damaged um or tossed around um and so those types of scenarios they also have an epiphone deal or at least uh was it john five or whatever the guitar player Mm. i think he moved to the zombie camp but um he had an epiphone deal because he would break a microphone or kick over a cabinet every night and uh yeah at a certain level it becomes a monetary thing sure i mean obviously um there there's some big players in the industry and they can use that but those are the rf you want to use so you can coincide you can change through their thing but they, they'll definitely uh money will take uh precedence over quality sometimes i think <laughs> our choice yeah so so speaking of the punk scene and actually this is our punk bands another um comment or question that came in and actually i was going to ask this next week anyway or around this vein next week when we talk to under front of house engineer but um shane sullivan asked punk bands uh and sub sub genres how to walk the line of making sure there's a good quality audio without taking away from the raw energy um and actually like the question i was gonna ask i'm still gonna ask it um to jj is and kyle i mean you've done enough of these uh, I feel like in the metal hardcore punk scene, um, it's ve- it would be very easy to just get a wall of sound without definition, um, uh, and so somewhere in between there, what is what is that like for you? Because I imagine sometimes, like yeah, like you you're ri- you are riding that energy wave, and so at some point there may not necessarily need to be that clarity definition, but at the same time there still needs to be some level. So how does how does that get balanced? So two things first. Shout out to Jonathan um, Martin, as he's known on Facebook. I know him as Trip and Willis Snow. We we talked about this today. The the touring in a van punk rock metal tour versus where we're at now. And, um, it, it truly, if you're touring with them, ask them, Hey man, is this the mess that you want happening? Mm. Or do you want me to do something about it to make it clearer and a little bit more defined? Do you want this, you know, basement venue or this church venue to sound 
as good as it can or is this what you're trying to put out there is just this big energetic performance now when you're a house engineer which i was at the nile in phoenix for a long time and um, a couple other places bastilles the juke joint um sometimes you just throw and go and you ride that energy of weight you know and you're mixing the entire time you know you're playing damage control mercenary audio but you know if you enjoy the music, it's not as annoying as you think. Um, I, I think that goes about with any genre. Like uh, that's why I think it's great to work in a venue that has everything come through. Mm. If you're used to mixing a church band that sounds like Elevation or Hillsong all the time, throwing you in a basement club doing punk rock shows is going to be a fucking nightmare for you. Um, other way around if you're used to playing mercenary audio in the basement of a crappy club putting yourself in a church you're gonna be like wow this is super controlled i can work here so having that reverse osmosis experience in punk and metal or at least having a background in it is going to give you an ear for it as well and i think that's that's where i came from uh trip always used to say and i probably should give him a shout out because i kind of stole from him is like mix it like slayer mix it like you're <laughs> mixing slayer all the time yes and there's a lot of underlying meanings in that and um i talked to my friend brian dodson today on the phone and he was asking about stereo guitars and using them and i was like yeah man if, if it's a guitar driven thing it's not necessarily the stereo part you want it's the the ability to fatten up tone so I learned this real quick when I was out with um, Times of Grace was like the achieving moment because I always wanted to mix a metal band that was very like arpeggiated, loud, insane notes, but such high distortion. It's hard to get the definition of those notes mm, to come clear yeah. in live sound. And that's part of the punk rock thing. Like they're just bashing strings but there's actual melody happening there somewhere or right. at least a syncopated rhythm that you need to accent and that's the whole bit of it i think with music in general um obviously punk rock's an art it's not meant to be musically precise but there is a, a thing within it you know and you got to expose the thing within it and you can do that without the help of the band you know know your limitations I, I love mixing shitty metal bands in basements. Like <laughs> making but, that. Right, what, what, what about it? Is it the energy that you love? Well, I mean, what what is it about that you love? Uh, it's seriously like if it's it's a band I like. Like I did Terror in a room that held maybe seventy to a hundred people, and it was insane. Like I didn't see the band the entire time. I just saw people get <laughs> smashed against the ceiling. Like but i knew the songs and mm. i knew what was supposed to be happening like so it was really fun for me to be able to mix make those people's i, I felt like i was making them get smashed against the ceiling when it had nothing to do with me um but making those notes stand out and i think that's the whole thing some punk rock players especially back in the 80s weren't that great of players that's why they were punk rock um, and that's why there was that whole crossover into metal in the late eighties, early nineties is because they got better. Hmm. And, um, that's an interesting perspective. I definitely think that's it. Like there used to be this band shit trip again. He used to mix this band called DRI from Houston, dirty rotten imbeciles. And everyone's seen the logo. It's the moshing dude. And, um, they were, they were the fastest band on earth. 
and their songs were so basic three riffs just fast as possible and then by their second or third album they started playing more metal stuff and slowing it down and actually writing parts to songs and it was like the progression of them learning how to play their instruments and i think that has to do with like even like black flag and bands like that but back to the original question you got to have you got to make sense of the noise and you got to know how to do it for your room that you're in um there is music in there trust me i listened to some disturbing shit and i toured with a super disturbing band i did this band from st louis called not waving but drowning they're basically Mm -hmm. spaz math core and um insane amount of notes dude screams like the bell witch the entire time um I, i would imagine there has to be two sides to this um has to be um depending on the size and style of venue you're in is going to flip the coin of how you're going to do this right if you're in the church basement if you're in the the vw hall the whatever right um uh your job that mercenary the damage control mixing is way different than when you're up into the thousand cap club the house of blues or whatever where you actually have a pa that's covering the whole room uh so because you basically the whether you have to mix based off of what's coming off the stage or you can actually mix right so i think those are probably really change how you approach either situation um because i remember like even like in high school working with my buddy's band um you know uh and it's at that point, like, I'm just talking to the bass player, the guitar player, and I'm just asking them, hey, can you set your amp at this level, set your amp at this level? And I'm really just riding vocal through the night, you know, and managing that interaction. And it's still mixing. You're still responsible for that experience because you're, you know, but um, it's not the same as, all right, now I got a, you know, you know, a couple hundred feet between, you know, stage and back, you know, back seat, and I can actually mix the show. And uh, yeah, I meant it's got to be different it, i i definitely recollect a bunch of our guests from previous episodes talking about the first time they did a theater or the first time they did a bigger show outdoors or not and they had microphones for their overheads and well that's what ryan ryan john said and like it was it was almost like an ouch uh when he said it at first and you know because obviously I shit on overhead microphones all the time. And he's like, yeah, but like when you get to a certain level, you have to, because you can't hear them. And it was like, okay, yeah, there's definitely that like line of, of, of that stage volume versus no, you know, people in these, you know, backs of the arenas and stadiums and this, that, and the other, they can't hear what the fuck's coming off the stage. Yeah. And even in the basis of jumping up from, uh, sticky clubs to say a house of blues level, there's a different approach sure. to mixing there. And um, I think once you figure out control, because that's what you're doing the whole time, you're mercenary audio, you're just trying to keep it in control and keep from blowing up things and breaking things and work with what the best you have. You start handing you better tools and better room and better energy to move. It almost becomes easier. It, it's almost simpler the the bigger you move up into mixing capacity i'm not saying as a tech capacity tech capacity moves up tenfold um but yeah mixing you start to develop things that you weren't able to develop you wanted to 
because you listen to those records, you listen to those bands coming up and you're like, man, I really wish I could have heard that part. Oh, there's that baseline part that's didn't come out in my thing because I had speakers on a stick. Like you move that into a venue that has a full range PA, three way PA, four way PA. Like now you can hear things you didn't hear before or, or outdoors. Yep. And I think imaging becomes a thing. And that's where I said stereo guitars. Um, I always think it's funny when a guitar player is like, oh, I want you to run left and right for my, I have stereo effect pedals. No one is going to really hear the effect of your stereo effect pedals, but you, because you're wearing in-ears and the person wearing the headphones cueing your channels. Um, I think there's a lot more to stereo effects than guitar players are led on to when it comes to mixing on a wide array or outdoors or with major instrumentation. Um, and I only think there's a very, very few bands that do stereo effects from instruments very well uh, I, that the I, audience I, can understand. I think what's changing that are like the Kempers and the Fractals and things like that, uh, where you have true stereo isolation and and effects that are legit built stereo, not just two different drivers in a cabinet. Um, and I've noticed even like from the church gig that I was doing a while back, it's, you know, 500 person room. And I take that Kemper and I go hard left, right with it. That sound is freaking massive, no matter whether you're in the middle of the room or not. So I, I think that has changed the landscape of stereoness. To, yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, I used to use it as with like Jet and Fallout Boy and Boys Like Girls, All Time Low. I do two lines and it was basically to fatten it up. It wasn't a stereo image per se. Right. It was, it was for tonal imaging and where I wanted the tone to lie. And I think that has a lot to do with it too. Um, and the interesting thing is like you actually, you end up with cancellation, but that actually ends up creating a different sound, right? Yeah. Like once you start taking, you can even take the same source, hard pan it, put a little bit of delay on the one side. At some point you're actually are canceling some things out, but it does this like, like you said, fat is the best way to describe it. Sound, um, fat and, imaging, and, and it's, it's interesting even... because I we've talked about this a little before. Is um, what is the um, and I was concerned, like I was on that at home mixing project right for for um that one live album, and I'm like, I'm wrestling in my head. At what point am I making decisions about the tonality of that guitar as an engineer versus what was originally coming off? um of that guitar right because i mean if i'm if, if i'm yeah. if if when i go wa super wide and i'm creating cancellations and now i've created this effectively different tone is that am i allowed to do that or is that right i don't know you know these are all conversations good, but that would be a good conversation to have with a a, a studio mix engineer yeah you know because i know a lot of people are actually just like lowing, laying midi tracks to a lot of things and then sending it in and picking through emulations and sounds and tones and colors. It, it's almost becoming a producer style job at that point to put those sounds together coherently. I, I wonder, that's a good question. That would be a good question for a, a studio mix engineer. Yeah. I'm curious on the thought process of the, uh, for lack of better terms, the Liberty that you take, to and of alters the right sound word but alter the sound or make the decisions you know to to do that and i don't know obviously you know people are making these things and it happens it's just it's it's interesting thought um how yeah. many reverbs <laughs> is too many in a show file from adam wood on our facebook 
and I wanted to comment on it so bad. But. All right. Well, let me let me let me tell you the 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 first thing I remember being told about Reverb when I went to MSI, at least from one person, uh, was their approach was um, you you dial it uh, to the point where you can hear it, and then you take it one notch back. Right at, at any point when you are like creating a false sense of a room or, or, or things like that, it's too. And again, these are all opinions, um, uh, but it, it, this all goes back. I think it goes back to. Um, I don't know. You had comments here, but like, I mean, I think it depends on what the desired result of the art that you're portraying, right? I mean, Correct. specifically right now, obviously, from a house of worship standpoint, it, you can't put enough reverb on this stuff these days. It is just everything just swims in the current mode of house of worship, um, and uh, uh, you know, and I don't know. Every genre is going to be different, but the the current modern house of worship, it's just it's just you're bathing in reverb. It's like 80s synth pop. Yeah. I mean, there's a time and place for everything. So my first answer would be, is what does it sound like on the album? Yep. Um, first and foremost, taking creative liberty with effects used to be cool. It's <laughs> not so cool anymore. If it's a recorded piece, people are coming to hear a representation of that. Now, that's where your your smoothing method helps a lot is bring it back hear it then bring it back so you're not chasing reverbs all night watch your times watch your pre-delay it's okay to eq your reverb by the way oh i <laughs> newsflash it, it, it was <laughs> a newsflash to me that people didn't eq their return right like that's the whole point of it like if, if you're someone asked me not too long ago a younger engineer you know how many reverbs should i use and i started i was like at the most four and my four were snare, toms, background vocals, lead vocals. And the first three are very arbitrary to the instrument, so I don't have to go chasing them. The only one I really want to go chase at some point maybe is the lead vocal and some of the drums depending on the tempo of the song. Right. And ba that's my ballad and then the vocals, it's a ballad or a slap. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. the two yeah. And and it's not a change in level per se it's a change in time like go from 1.2 seconds mm -hmm. to two or whatever the case may be um eq returns eq returns to your snare like you don't need all that energy going elsewhere that you're not even putting in your snare anyways and you can accent the part that you want to accent because sometimes you'll listen to your reverb return and it'll sound artificial and to get rid of that artificial is to take out the stuff that's not being created in the snare in the first place Wabaduche. Now, effects effects are different. If it's an effect, then you can EQ it differently for that effect. Like if they have a um, piccolo snare or a tambali or something like that, you can actually manipulate the reverb return to like give it an effect instead of just a verb. Um, I don't know, yeah. but you could have too much too. If you're doing a metal band, don't. <laughs> don't use a lot of effects if you're doing um you know a female singer high pass your reverb return to where you're high passing your singer at like just play it smart if it's recorded listen to the recording if it has a lot of reverb on it go for it yeah but it's i it's think not the, a, the tricky the thing too and this goes back to like the board file versus the room is obviously your printed mix especially in reverb can 
come across drastically different than you remember or it actually is in the room. And this really falls into now we're in the day and age of streaming, right? And so if you're in a very reverberant room or whatever and you're not wanting to, you know, kiss that reverb as much yet on the stream, it's like rather dry. Um, I mean, that was I know I found that especially through the past couple of years, even pre-COVID, um, mixing at the church every Sunday and to hear these, you know, it's like, you know, um, I'm noticing how dry this is on the stream yet in the room. I was very happy with how it was. And so, um, that, that's, that's a, that could be a tricky thing if you're having to mix for two different environments at the same time. True. And we've really lucked out cutting a number of actual energy creators on stage. I mean, most people, at a certain level only have drum mics and vocal mics and everything else is right. is gone through the desk and yep. everyone's on IEM. Yep, no wedges, yep. So <clears throat> I think almost at this point, the other end of the snake, the monitor folk have a better understanding on how much verb needs to be on things because they're listening into like a broadcaster, a stereo environment in their ears. For sure. Um, over at Discord, Sam, so there's, I think there's this two different questions. So Sam and Cameron, um, part of the Rutabaga Club, um, have mentioned, so average gig day for corporate versus rock and roll, um, and then also talking about, um, uh, you know, I'm tying these together, Cameron, so what makes you successful in live music touring versus corporate production? So I think some of those will kind of tie hand in hand. And then um, Corey had messaged me, um, talking about maybe even rates as a freelancer so let's let's save the money conversation but i do want to get there and talk there i want to talk i want to talk actual numbers because the, everyone skirts around actual numbers and and I, I plan on at least from a corporate standpoint spitting out the numbers that are that are real in my world so um and i'm curious to hear it from the touring side but let's so i could talk all day long on the typical corporate side of a day and it really varies um you know someone has asked recently i think in discord was like uh uh, and then maybe it was in Hannah. I know Hannah has been trying to, um, to to educate and work with some people up in her way. It was like, um, hey, is the is a corporate A1 um, audio engineer, are they responsible for everything from setup to running the cables to test and tune to all of that? Um, the short answer is yes. 90% of the time, um, you are responsible from picking your speaker placement to running your cable to patching your back of house to doing all the things. Um, medium level, you might get an A2 that assists you, but they might not be like a high level A2. And so like they're there just kind of to assist you, but they can't run point. And then as you get up on a, like a next level stage of corporate, um, you might have an A2 that they they are fully responsible for flying that PA, running every cable, patching everything, and you as a mix engineer just kind of get to kind of be back there and tune and do your thing. So um, your average day could be a six to eight a.m. load in uh, to a you know rehe- be rehearsal ready by by three p.m. and a show that evening. You might have two three days of load in and then sit for a week at a conference. Um, and let Dan Dugan do his thing on your console. Um, I mean, the day the corporate can really run the gamut from again, a couple speakers on sticks. And I think the big thing that people don't realize in corporate is the the level that I need or someone needs from an engineer uh, doing corporate is not predicated on the size of the system. In other words, um, I've done many presidential events that were four speakers on sticks, but they, yet they're being nationally broadcasted and whatever. 
or this is a board of directors meeting for a Fortune 500 company, and I got multi-million dollar C-suite people sitting at this room, and it's in front of a, a bunch of investors or something like that, and it's again, a couple speakers on sticks and whatever, but this meeting is like everything to this company and, and millions of dollars of decisions are being made. Um, and then I've had corporate meetings where you have 5,000 people in a room and this is a breakout room and you're hanging a couple hangs of VRXs. And if people can hear just enough, cool. Do you know how to push a fader up and make this podium mic be okay? Cool. But like the size of that room and the quantity of people in the room, neither of which dictated how important it was, how costly it was. Um, or to, you know, so there, there's just, I don't, kind of like spewing some bunch of different sides of corporate lighting scale. Yeah. And, and I think that goes with the other side of it too. I mean, um, I see a lot of people on some of the, the Facebook job sites asking for rates and people scoffing at them, you know, um, some are scoffable, you know, like I wouldn't send a noob out for some of the rates that they offered there for a bit, but, um, it's a very slidable scale. You know, um, all right, here, here, here's one insight that maybe people maybe don't realize on the money that gets played into corporate versus rock and roll. The budget that people have to do a corporate show versus a rock and roll show. So rock and roll and rock and roll could be any music, right? R&B, hip hop, rap, rap, classical, doesn't matter, just music, right? The only money that there is typically to work with is how many seats are in the venue, how much can you charge per seat, right? That is the amount of money that everyone, including that building, has to work with to pay everyone. And so that's going to dictate the level of production, the level quantity of people being paid, how much you're getting paid, all of that. So yes. in corporate, it is the opposite. Nine times out of 10, you are not charging anyone to show up to that event. It is how much is this meeting worth to you? I can't tell you how many hour-long only meetings I've done in the hundreds of thousands of dollars in level of, of production and multiple days of load-ins rehearsals for a one-hour event as opposed to an arena rock show that, again, might only be a two, three-hour show and you're in and out that day, multiple semis, you know, and a quarter of the budget of what that one corporate thing is. So um, a lot of people say there's a lot more money in corporate, both to be made as a tech and a production company, whole nine yards. That is why. It's a simple fact. It's um, where you get your money from and who it matters to who it matters to. Of course, there are plenty of corporate where people are charging to show up to a convention and things like that. And that's, that's another interesting fact is that um, the conventions where they're charging people to show up um, often have a lower budget than just a, the um, that's more of like an association type of show. Actually corporate is different because again, it's how much money is this worth us to this meeting. Whereas if, if they're ever charging attendees to show up, it's how much can I charge these attendees how many can I fit in? That dictates the budget. So that's a trickle-down effect that people need to understand the economics of what goes into both sides of the business. And it's easier to answer the top end of everything than it is the entrance level or basic level into either corporate or rock and roll, I think. Uh, the easy answer is there is no top end to either side. 
um, depending on the merit and value of the person that you're getting and that you need for your project will dictate your your top end um bottom end weird because think about it um most people that are shop techs get like an hourly rate and then they also get put on shows in the local vicinity and uh their rate doesn't change too much from their shop rate to show day rate you know they might get time and a half or sure uh, time served or whatever uh and even in like a a union situation um you know four hour minimums those are pretty much standard doesn't matter who you're loading in or who you're loading out those are standard and they're minimums for a reason and and to your example um that's why promoters started buying multiple shows in a row is because they knew in certain markets they could fill more seats, but they needed that to go to another market that wasn't going to fill so many seats. So they give them a rate for right. all the markets, including the ones that aren't going to be so good. Or stadium shows, uh, often the trend lately is stadium show, it's country artists the first night, rock artists or you know hip-hop artists the next night. So you get two different demographics in the same city. Because if you did two country nights back-to-back or two hip-hop back-to-back or whatever, you've saturated your market. But yet if you cut your cost down of I've only loaded in once and loaded out once, but yet I can get two different markets, three different markets all in the same venue, that's the best way that they can get the and they get the best bang for the buck. And at the end of the day, honestly, the promoter is the one who wins the most in that and no one else. But whatever <laughs> it is a lot of good questions coming up uh the next one off of facebook actually hold on yeah. i want to i want to oh, okay we, while we're in the money thing i'm, I'm gonna let's we'll go for the money and then we can come back to the questions so um i can speak from a corporate standpoint and then I, I look I, for the record anyone who is new to the podcast i haven't toured in 12 13 years so my perspective on touring pay is off but i can speak Neither to the <laughs> just kidding but the um the corporate side uh here's how it rolls so as a freelancer um i would say the bottom of um freelancing direct like non-stagehand like i'm using you as um an a2 uh or rf tech or things like that um i would say the absolute bottom 35 dollars an hour um on a 10 hour minimum and then time and a half after 10 that's bottom now that is cheap in my opinion uh 35 35 an hour uh and now a lot of this is market dependent right if, let's just face it if you're in the middle of the country uh, u.s perspective at least here um or or some other area if you Tell are about it <laughs> um uh, but if you are, you know, in LA, New York, Miami, whatever, then the, you know, the bottom is probably around 45 an hour, you know, again, you know, with a 10 hour minimum, um, I would say the median engineer, a two, a one, the median is $50 an hour. That is the, you know, most median I see. So anywhere from 45 to 55 an hour is the median that I see all day long. Um, your next two tiers would be your like $65 an hour, or $75 an hour range people. Um, and it's not limited people who are just doing, um, front of house. Um, uh, you could be an A2, a system tech, a com tech, an RF tech, and be on that upper tier. Um, what dictates whether you get to charge for that? Uh, a couple things. 
Uh, it could be the budget of the project you're working on. It could be your level of experience. Um, I will say, in my opinion, if you're charging more than 55 an hour um, for your experience in audio um, in corporate, um, you better have a significant experience and there's pretty much nothing I throw at you that will be an issue, in my opinion. Um, you know, um, I've also, I've heard the, the sentiment of, um, uh, look, most freelancers, you have the upper hand to negotiate your rate. Uh, I think Michael posted recently, we're talking about uh, rates in the discord and it was like, um, look, there is no reason why when when somebody contacts you and talk about a gig, there's no reason why you can't upfront and talk about the money. Right. Um, and, and I hate it, but you have to do, you hate it, but like, and I hate it too, but like, um, there's two sides of this. Me as a person who hires all the time. The first thing I ask people is say, Hey, what is your rate? I give people the opportunity to tell me what their rate is. There's people who don't like that and they go, well, what's the budget? I thought about this today in, in talking and in knowing that we we're going to talk about this. And I'm like, all right, let me another economics thing here. I obviously, um, as an, as an AV company, we are in the business of making money, not at the expense of people, but we are at the, we're in the business of making money. We traditionally don't very make very much money on labor. We make money on rental of gear. So the margin that I make money on labor is literally in like the 5% at best uh, on labor. So if I'm charging a client $800 an hour, you know, uh, and, I, and, I, and I'm getting you for, for five five fifty, it, it may it, it may seem like it's a big difference. That's not that much difference, especially when I've already discounted my gear 30 40% just to get the gig. Right. So that, that's something to keep in perspective. So to, to quantify things like, well, what's your budget? Well, I can't just spend $800 an hour or $800 a day on you. Right. Um, and there has to be an ebb and flow to it. Right. Like, I, there's going to be times where I book someone who is a little more experienced and I'm going to pay the 65, 75, or whatever. Um, and to offset that, that means there's going to be an average amount of shows that I book someone at 45, 55, somewhere in that range as well. I personally, and we as a company, respect people for what their rates are. So if you tell me you're rated 55, you tell me you're rated 45, whatever, um, regardless of whether I use you as an A1 or A2, I don't pay you any differently. Some companies will go, hey, I'm only going to pay you 45 if you're an A2, but I'll pay you 55 if you're an A1. I call bullshit on that. Someone <laughs> is someone is worth what their rate is, no matter what position I put them in. I've chosen that that you're worth your time, whether I so because I constantly book people A1s as my A2s because I want that level person out of it. And I'm not degrading the A2 position, but a lot of people do. And a lot of people go, eh, I'll put a less, a person who's not as much experience in the A2 world, whatever. Where in reality, I think the A2 position is almost more important than the A1 position because of the level of responsibility you have on some of these shows. Um, Correct. So that's, so to me, it's I ask what your rate is. And then I have some people like, look, if I use you all the time and your rate is, Maybe higher than I would like to do every show because I do have to manage budgets or whatever. Like, here's the deal. 
all right, I have these few specific shows through the year. I'll use you and I'll pay you your top dollar rate. Um, but if you let me work with you and make it bring it down maybe $5 an hour, I can use you 10 more times across the year with no questions asked from my superiors or whatever. And then you ultimately get more workout. Like there's like negotiations, right? Um, half day, full day travel rates, things like that. Um, I personally believe and mostly if you have to fly out of your house, you're talking a full travel day. If you can get in your car within a couple hours or train or something like that, I think a half day is reasonable. Um, anyway, those from a corporate standpoint, that's that's the economics and money side of uh, and very often for the record, you're getting more than 10 hours in a day. You're talking 12, 13, 14 hours a day. So while I said 500 or 550 for that 10 hours, you do a couple 12, 13 hour days that racks up really quick in OT and you can make a serious amount of money on a multi-day show in corporate. Yep. For sure. Um, I'm glad that you brought up location um, because I've lived and worked in a ton of different locations in the U.S. And it's dictated by the market in in music and in venues. And um, I think there's a lot of worth about talking about whether to be freelance or to work for a company. And Sam and I touched on that a little bit, the differences involved. Um, but it is about the hustle, but you can't undercut yourself either, but you can't overplay yourself either. If you don't have the merit or the experience, sometimes being freelance isn't the best bet, you know, thinking that's going to be your main source of income. Uh, uh, I consider myself freelance when I have a stable gig, uh, life choices, not career choices. Right. Um, if you have something stable, it's a lot easier to freelance and fill up your spare time than it is to hustle in certain markets to get steady gigs. And like you said, if you take, you know, 10% off your day rate or your rate, I'll put you on 10 more, 10 times more shows. Sometimes that's fine. I see a lot of management companies and people posting things for, oh, we need merch sellers for this tour and someone to drive the van. And, you know, they want to pay them, you know, 400 bucks a week or 300 bucks a week. Like, no, <laughs> you know, one, you are providing safety for a group of people because you have to drive. You are exchanging money with patrons at a venue you know, there, there's value in things. So I think, you know, a day rate for a local venue, and, and I can talk about this because I did it. Uh, crappy bar venue. Sometimes I'd get 25 bucks and some free drinks. Right. And that's fine because I got to do something that I super enjoyed. Was I going to go in there and tell them, hey, my day rates in, in a different city is $400 a day? No, it's not going to fly. Right. Not going to fly. You know, so you, you kind of play your rate to yeah. what your responsibilities are. And I want to set, set the record on most rock and roll is a day rate, not an hourly rate. Right. So for those who don't Correct. know, um, you know, that's one upper hand. Again, uh, there's definitely more money in corporate, hands down. Right. Um, uh, so sure. rock and roll, um, you know, while I think, you know, a decent, um, uh, day rate for a festival or something like that is still in the 500 of the day. It might still be Ooh, a 14, 15, Philly. 
<laughs> that might still be a 14, 15 hour day or more. So if you calculate that by hourly, you know, so all well, that, are you still with the fill? Then let's, let's talk uh, rock and roll. What are numbers? We have to classify this, right? Cause I would imagine arena level tours, uh, house of blues, theater level tours, and then your club van and trailer tours. You, you've had to have some of these mentorship conversations recently and set these expectations. So what are you, what's maybe those like three category ranges to be put perspectives on <laughs> category ranges. Um, definitely talk to some mentees about this. Uh, we had some money questions going back and forth. One of our faithful few, uh, wanted to go out with a metal band and they're not signed yet. They're just going out and doing a few shows with a good headliner. That's going to bring people in to listen to their stuff and help their self released album. You know, what's going to help you? Are you doing it as a passion project? Are you trying to exposure, man? Exposure. Yeah. (laughs) But it's also experience too, you know, on the other side, it then the house gig, you know, well, well, uh, let's talk numbers there, though. What what is realistic? If you're you're, you're jumping in a van, you're going to sleep in a van for the next month or a couple, you know, a two week run with a opening act on a three four bill act in a club, and you are you're doing everything all day. What what's what's that going rate? We're talking hundred bucks a day. We talk what what's what's the going or less. rate there? Hundred bucks a day or less for real. You know, PDs maybe not. You know. Maybe they'll let you split some of their peanut butter and jelly and have a towel or a bottle of water. Like, a hundred bucks a day is a band getting ready to release an album on a major label. Yeah, hundred bucks a day. I mean, it. A lot of those things, and we can even address Warp Tour. A lot of those bands paid to be on that thing. Right. If you're not on two to three of the main stages, you're paying to be on that thing. So your management company is putting money out that you don't even have yet. I'm talking as a band. Right. For you to play that stage to be in front of, you know, tens of thousands of kids every day. You know, how much value is it to have an audio person out on that? Uh, Probably very band dependent a four-piece punk rock band probably doesn't need their own sound guy out there doing the thing now an eight-piece new wave crazy setup electronics stuff like that might need an engineer at front of house to make sense of their mess because it might be a little bit you know intricate um Let's talk, great- let's talk. So, bus, bus and trailer, you know, your thousand at best, your 500 cap club, your TLAs, your, you know, your, your, your Norvas down in Norfolk, Virginia, you know, like what that, that level tour, like, so the band and the crew are, you know, all, everything you have is in that, in that trailer. What's that? What's, or, or van. I know that maybe it's a slight step there, but, you know, between the, yeah. I'll go low side, 750 to 1,000. A week. Yeah. yeah, with some okay. PDs. You know, bus and trailer, van and trailer, you know, low side, 750 to 1,000. If they're established band, 12. 
I mean, yeah, because because there are some established bands who are choosing to be in that market because you know there's the whole gimmick of hey, if I sell out every night, I want that intimate vibe. Like I did a Disturbed tour when I mean they were like you know obviously not the peak they were now because it was a while ago, but they were still like freaking up there, and they just choose to do like a Jaeger tour because they just love that vibe of being in a uh, um Correct. A, a house of blues or a whatever, and I mean so there's, we, there's we used to say it was like a glass ceiling too for certain styles of bands, you know like uh, every time I die is like one of my favorites from way back, and you know that is their market. You know, unless they, they have some really co-headline style support or whatever, thousand, two thousand cap is is it for the states, you know? Um but then, you know, there's bands like uh Emery and Fallout Boy and My Chemical Romance that all started out at that level and then just kept pushing it up to the next one. Right. So think about the glass ceiling you know if you start working for an artist as their mix person um think of the ceiling that they may run into all right so then what's the difference of mixing say all right you know you know direct for an emory a fallout boy you know on that club level tour uh or theater was push it up a little bit you know you got sound image you got msi you got some claire somebody involved in the tour and you're you're mixing for you're you're working for that house what's the pay differential there Ooh, so you're working for the pr- production company yep so let's say sound image it's just random i mean this is not endorsement whatever just sound image you're supporting you know, uh, a bus and trailer tour, which happens, whatever, you know, uh, maybe you have one semi that's everything lights, audio, video, whatever Ooh. in some like TLA, right. Versus, you know, you're going, you've, you've, you've worked that club artist up until this point and you're direct with the artist. Wow. Haven't been in that position. Yeah, it's, it's, but I, 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 I know to that on this. We, I plan on. I think I'm going to put some posts out there. That, like, let's. There's no reason for us not to have transparency about this. So, like, you know, if you listen to this and I haven't already posted, or if I posted, let's let's talk about this, right? There's. It's not. You know, I know people don't want to. It's it's a it's a taboo thing to talk about. I get it, but I just spilled. In my opinion, the corporate side of things, I don't know the rock and roll side of things. So, and I know it's such a sliding scale, but I mean, the only way to get better on all this is just freaking talk about it. So, on my first one where we started doing large theaters and some B market arenas like Half House or that, that kind of thing, we had one semi, mostly PA, some moving lights. And I had one tech from the company. You and were direct with the artist? or I worked directly with the artist. And I don't know what he got paid, but to put up with me every day, holy cow, I Not hope enough. he got a lot. But I know <laughs> he is sitting in a great office job with the same company, and he's kind of my boss now. So it all comes around. Um, yeah, post about this stuff. I, I know that some shop work gets about 25 bucks an hour. You know, starting out, um, that seemed pretty standard. And and even some of the local venues here in St. Louis, it's about twenty five bucks an hour. Um, at the end of the day, to do a, a club show. Um, I've done outdoor festivals from anywhere to 
250 a day to 350 a day in the Midwest. And in Vegas, I almost doubled that in, in regular club venues, you know? So it location dependent. Um, and a lot of people do like you do, Chris, the, the person that you get for the job is what you need on the job. And there was a lot of times that I was at the other end of the snake because they wanted me on deck, but I still got my rate as if I was a one. And, uh, sorry, that ties into Corey tied into his question. He was like, um, you know, discuss rates as freelance, how to know if you're at, how to know if you're asking too much. Here's the thing. Every time hang up on you, no, 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 you don't get called back. (laughs) Look, the whole thing is like, that's you ask for what you think you're worth. And, if they say they're, you know, hey, you know what? I can only do X, you know, there, there's things to play in there, right? Is this the first time you're working with somebody, you know, and have a conversation like, hey, sure, I'm willing to do X, but I'd like to prove to you that I can do X, Y, and Z. And I typically work for this, but I'd really like to work with you guys because I know your reputation is this and blah, 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 right? Um, or if it's someone you work with for a while, I'm like, hey, you know what? We've been working together for a couple of years now. I've improved on X, Y, and Z skills. Uh, this is where I'm at. I mean, you know, um, I, I, there was a guy, uh, 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 mentor of mine who called me is like hey i've been with those artists for 10 plus years like how do i go about like asking for you know a raise and i'm like look there's look at the economy right now in terms of inflation cost of living all these things right like it's it's natural to have a couple percentage of increase you know um every couple years what i would suggest is you know having dialogue and be like i would rather as a person who employs people um i would rather it be a gradual thing and maybe have a conversation all right you know what in two years let's raise two percent or five percent whatever that is um as opposed to bottle up for six years and all of a sudden get a 10 15 20 some 30 percent hey this is now my new rate right that sliding scale as a company who's trying to manage things are easier to work towards because we're increasing our labor rates by two to three percent every year to clients to account for all those things labor brokers who that i hire from they're increasing their rates you know gradually through the years i mean it's a very interesting thing that like rock and roll rates have not relatively changed in a decade and it's kind of crazy um and yeah i mean i think there is no reason for people not to be asking for more it is definitely a freelance market um and look i and i <laughs> uh and i'm saying this as an employer because i you know i i get it I, I i truly get it i i can i always meet those things no but i i I believe in in people and the in the freelance market. You know, you and you and Sam were talking about or started to talk about differences or differences between freelance and uh, full time, and you guys didn't really fully get there, and um, um, which is totally fine. Uh, I had so much. I'm like, man, like I'm like I'm like listening to the episode of you two, and I'm like, I want to say this. I want to say this. <laughs> um, but uh, there are. I, I will I will say this, and I've said this in interviews to people who are interviewing for full time to work for me. And again, I hope everyone understands it's a grain of salt. Everything that I say is my perspective and how I run things. I can't say this is the same for the way everyone else views things uh, or other companies. If if your sole 
thought process and whether to choose freelance versus full-time is predicated on how much money you will make. Freelance will always win. I've legitimately told in the last two years, multiple people, I am not here to compete with how much money you can make freelance. So hands down, if you are good at what you do, are able to hustle for your own work and manage your own payroll and do all those things, easily you can make more money be freelance, have more days off, and do more of the work you want. It just is what it is. The advantages I see of being a full-time and is a couple things. One, um, if you're not good <laughs> at managing the hustle of vying for your work, if you're not good at managing your books and invoicing and taxing and all of those things, um, if you um, if you don't like tra- traveling, if you if you don't like traveling or don't want to be away just about every other week, don't freelance. Because nine times out of 10, if you were being a very active freelancer, it's not going to be in your hometown. I'm speaking a little more towards um, towards the corporate side of things, but it would follow suit with rock and roll. Um, it does. Um, you know, if you like a healthy balance of kind of being home, the sense of security that this company is just going to keep growing and um, uh, and finding new clients and all those things um, is going to provide training for you. Uh, to me, vesting yourself into a company, um, the the uh, the gear that you get to work on, you get to kind of grow some consistency because it's the same gear over and over and over again. There's a negative side of that. Maybe you're not as exposed to you. Know, look, I've been pigeonholed to Yamaha consoles for the last 12 years. I haven't touched a Digico in, tw- in 12 years. Right. Um, but it's okay because that's my market and that's what we do. But that might not be okay for some people. Um, so uh, th- those are some a few things I want to throw in the differences between uh, full time and freelance. So um, I-, I think a lot of people who have never been freelance started a company, get your chops, um, figure out what you want to do, and then once you're a decent level, then then go freelance. It's going to be very hard to start freelance if you never worked for a company before and haven't gotten your feet wet. Um, and um, and if there's any company, uh, look, I, it, I think about it all the time, but people who work for me now, I'm like, man, how come they haven't gone freelance yet? Or I'm, I'm really surprised. Like it doesn't, it wouldn't shock me if half of my people that work for me to, you know, tomorrow, like, you know what? I'm going to go freelance. Like, cool. Hey, more proud to you. Like if that's, that's what, if that's the ride you want to go now, if you're jumping ship to another full-time company, that's a whole other conversation and let's, let's figure yep. that out. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm not, if you're jumping to freelance and you think that's the route you want to go, um, bear in mind, if the only contacts you've made um, are because of the company you just worked for, and you think you're going to be able to go jump to all those clients eh, you might need to reconsider how you're approaching that um so that's a probably a whole nother topic for another day but i know I'm, I'm, I'm ranting but i had a lot of pent-up thoughts from when you and sam had that conversation <laughs> do it get it out i i want to go back to shane sullivan um he he mentioned also uh as a younger sound human what's a good way to help older sound humans who are leads get by on the new digital computer-based gear um that's that's a hard thing especially this day and age because if if they haven't been exposed to it and they don't know how to get around on it yet um they might just be phased out um it's a bummer to say because what was so i was reading other people other comments people posted what was the question you just said (laughs) uh help older sound humans who leads get by on new digital consoles yeah um 
digital consoles have been out for a long time. I mean, since Chris hasn't mixed on a D5 or a D1 Digico in a long time, they actually have new models out now. Uh, um, I couldn't fucking stand the original Digico D5 Live. Oh, they're... Oh, that was awful. I'm sorry. It was, for, it was awful. It was awful. It was gross. And he said, uh, random insight, um, any episode Kyle mentions Fall Out Boy, he has to listen <laughs> to uh, Grand Theft Autumn, uh, which I will say, here here was one cool thing. They never played this song off It Takes Us to the Grave called Reinventing the Wheel to Run Over Myself. And I thought that was an awesome song, lyrics and everything. And they did a secret show in Chicago at... Pete had a bar called AK-47 or whatever. It's called Angels and Kings. And uh, he had a gold-plated AK with Louis Vuitton stuff on it above the bar. It was cool. But I got him to play that song there. It was one of the crowning moments of my life. And I think there was only like 50 people because that's all I could fit in there. Um, there's so many other questions. Uh, another thing, mixing shows without using any external or internal plugins. Would you consider gates and comps plugins because i've mixed a ton of shows on like sc48s and venues and midas desks and stuff where i just used comps and gates and yeah, I, I have to i have to assume the question is implying non-onboard right i mean no he uh, said external and internal so just straight console ripping it, regardless of whether it's analog or digital versus... Yeah. How many club shows did I do that where I didn't even bother plugging in a reverb? I was just like, oh, I got 12 high school metal bands tonight. I think I'm just going to rip it. Like, yeah, you could do that. Yeah, I mean, for sure you could do it. I, I um... I think I think the bigger debate is the people's uh, need, desire, want for you know the wave server or the whatever, and 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 there, and and how deep to go there. And I, I think what I've what I've noticed is the people who um who and we're talking like uh, I don't like you know grading people, but like in the A B level, you know arena stadium level touring thing, um, they would all admit. Could they do their jobs without their wave servers and all their racks of gear? Yes, they could, and be perfectly fine doing it. It's more of, I can, so I'm choosing to do so because these tools are at my disposal, so I choose to use these tools at my disposal, not as a crutch. Um, yeah. I think the people, the trap that people fall into is when you're in either entry level or at a point of not really knowing how to use all those things properly um and you're just trying to overcompensate and like i'm gonna try this vocal chain of three deep level waves plugins because that's what pooch and rainbow talked about and you don't really actually know what all those settings did and you end up just just mushing it up that's yep. where i think the negativity comes around on the waves and the external racks and the whatever if you have tools and you've and you're using them because you know what they do and why they do it and if you're using it strategically i don't care how much shit you use because you've used it because you knew why you were doing it if you're like ah this is the thing this is cool i'm an audio engineer right i got all this shit then no you probably shouldn't be doing that Definitely take the Michael Lawrence slash Ryan O'John approach and be very specific knowing what you're grabbing. And that yeah. that includes building your rack of things. It, it, um, there is, I don't want discredit. There is a learning phase, right? There is a point where you don't know what this does and you got to figure that out. But as long as you're getting to the point where I know 
why I'm choosing to put this threshold here. I know why I'm choosing to do X perimeter here because I'm expecting X desired result. As long as you're working towards that, then I, you know, that, that makes sense. If that, if, if that makes sense, I, I know I'm continuing to ramble here, but yeah. Want to hit a few more questions? Yeah. We, I have a, I have a question uh, for you. Uh, yeah. Bring it. We never we, talk about this. I, real quick. I, th- I thought about this the day before we recorded. I'm like, you know what? Kyle and I are going to record. You know what we should do? We should record 10 or like 14 rapid 10-minute things and release one a day for like for like 10 days of just like 10-minute like short clips or whatever. But anyway, that was that was the thought that came to mind. But go ahead. What do you got? What, <laughs> what are you listening to right now? Yeah. So, all right, what I'm listening to right now, honestly, is um, Under Oath's new album, Voyeurist. And here's why. Um, so, uh, Matt Carter, who we've had on the podcast before, um, he does a podcast called Labeled. It's the stories and rumors of um, Tooth and Nail. So, he works, he's worked like the whole back catalog of Tooth and Nail Records. Um, and now, um, Under Oath has recently come back to Under to, to Tooth and Nail, and obviously, they're originally Tooth and Nail band. Um, and before all that, he had a podcast called Break It Down, where from, from an, for those who don't know, Matt Carter. Carter is the the guitar player from Emory, which is a, a emo you know punk rock band. Um, and he, when they did a, a couple of their albums, they went song by song and broke down every song and and how they built the chord structure and why they wrote each lyric or whatever. Well, he's doing that with the new Under Oath album uh, on Ooh. a sub podcast called um um shit hold on i'll look at i'll look look for it while i'm talking but it's 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 labeled but it's um uh, oh damn it i'm trying to find right now um labeled the uh, labeled deep dive and it's an episode per per song of the of the new album from from under earth the album called voyeurist and for those who don't know and colin knows this the the intriguing part of this is that under oath was obviously a big hit for a while um aaron gillespie left the band which was their drummer that was a thing um they then they just completely broke up for a, a, a period of years magically came back together with aaron gillespie which was a big deal but yes. there was still like there was still like this like tension between aaron and um Spencer. Spencer um and so the la- the first album the first album they put back together when they came back wasn't everyone was like yeah this is not quite under oath like Aaron's not doing his thing what is it um and this album they they basically talk about how they put all that shit behind them. They got in a room yelled at each other figured their shit out um and and recorded an album through covid um, Good. And and they think that this album is like the pinnacle of who they are from an artistry level. Like their their keyboard player Chris Dudley, you know, he's been working on movie scores over the last couple of years, so he brings that element to the album. You got Aaron Gillespie who has done his thing; he produces all these other albums. Spencer has grown vocally, um, both lyrically he, he did and a side singing. Project. Yeah, uh, which I don't know what his side project was. My friend um, Ronnie was doing them last time I saw him. So I, I got to be honest, I, you know, the emo screamo scene wasn't my scene when it was its peak, the, you know, early two thousands, whatever. Wasn't my, I did define (laughs) the great line with Aaron and Spencer. Right. It was amazing. 
Um, which I guess this is all a pre- uh, predecessor of. We were actually supposed to have JJ on tonight, which JJ was the recording um, engineer for this album. Which and I found out about this because listen to this podcast. Um, and um, and I'm fascinated by. I found that like if I love documentaries, especially music documentaries, if I can. Um, emotionally and mentally attach myself to the art that's being created, I can appreciate it way more than if I just heard on the radio. Um, oh, yeah. So specifically, um, Lady Gaga had, um, I don't know if it was Netflix or Amazon or whatever, had a documentary on like one of her um, more recent albums. And it's like, once you get this perspective of the headspace and what they're trying to do, like you just, it just changes what you think of it like even back to like when i toured with don henley you know like i knew of the eagles and whatever right but then like once i got to know don <laughs> I knew of james henley don <laughs> once once i got to know him and interact with him it changes your emotional attachment to this stuff so as matt carter's walking through this this the you know um each song of this or whatever um i am appreciating the album more and like most albums i think i have to listen to it a bunch of times before i really actually like it and the album's really growing on me because at first i was like you know what i actually kind of liked the album that they first returned with that everybody was shitting on more and now now that i understand the art that went into this album it's mind-blowing uh to connect it to and and honestly had i not listened to the episode of the podcast I probably wouldn't appreciate the album and wouldn't have it on repeat right now. So anyway, that's, that was a very long with an answer, but that's I like them. Yeah. I like them a lot, but they've always been a huge influence on my musical listening taste. But the reason I say this is I was watching the final <laughs> season of uh, Ozark with my lady. Me too. Yes. We, and uh, don't, don't Ru- spoil, don't spoil it. Oh, I've not done it yet. But Ruth was driving around listening yes. to. Uh, I thought Nas. of you. I thought of you when Ilmatic. that came on. Yes, and uh, that shit is hard. Like I don't care who you are. That Nas album, Illmatic, King's Disease Two, like that shit's hard. So it's putting me into like a, a early '90s gangster. I mean, it was like late '90s. Um, I listened to some Mob Deep, and then I had to go listen to Terror, Total Retaliation, and Casey Jones. But um, holy cow! If anyone's an Ozark fan, and they start season four, we'll talk about it more. But like, yes. Ruth listening to Nas Illmatic on her mission was incredible, and she ran into a um, one of one of my favorite current artists, I could say, uh, Killer Mike. Make a made a guest ex, ex, appearance in one of the episodes while she was listening to the Nas thing on her headphones, and there was like a a nice little dissertation. Uh, and the funny thing is, is they never, if you watch the entire episodes where she's listening to the album, never once do you hear them say, "Oh, she's listening to the Illmatic album or Nas." Right. It's like this underlying thing in the background, and it totally goes with the play. It's yes, it, I think. Justin Bateman, Jason Bateman Jason, is, yeah. is a fucking, it, that is one of the best things I've watched in a long time. 100%. I mean, we can go back and Breaking Bad and uh, 
lost even going back further legends of the fall or what i don't know north and south no see, whatever I, i've never i've never really been into like the whole slow drama tv series thing and then i got into ozark and uh, it's unbelievable so yeah but we'll have to be, i yeah no spoilers i'm very interested to see where this goes but uh man yes I, i'm with listen you to that. nas ilmatic album in your car I'll, when you're super super in a weird spot it, you'll feel like the the toughest person in the world. <laughs> hey, Chris, we did this by ourselves. There wasn't a, a Samuel or a Michael. It wasn't. Um, no, it's fun. I I, I know I, I ranted tonight. I tend to do that when I have the the platform to do that. So it's uh it's it's fun. It's, yeah. I, I can't stress enough. So I feel like for those who don't know, we we're beat a freaking dead horse. I don't care. The dialogue that we kind of just had here, this shit goes on daily in our discord for those who just are, don't know. Right. If, and, and shout out to everybody who is in our discord who active in there. You know, while we do have over 600, some people in there, I would say it's probably maybe about 20, some people who literally weekly are on there all day long, to, you know, uh, talking about things. Um, and I can't stress enough that like this isn't about us talking on a microphone. Uh, I love how um, you know whether whether the whether the pandemic helped it or not, or just a bunch of cool audio humans have just organically come together. Whatever it is, um, I freaking love it. I love you all. You know, Kyle mentioned the other day, like just thinking about you guys. We have this like, group text between us and the podcast, and like, dude, this is real. This isn't this fucking show. Like, you know, you know, Kyle, Michael, and Sam, they're they're my best friends, and you know, I know this sounds like a love fest every time we say this shit. It's fucking real though. It is. It's fun. Thanks for everyone who took the time to write silly questions. Shout out to James Elizondo. You know that Gus, the Ghost Mung tour was was super weird, man. But it got me the spinoff into the Coffee House Chomatic tour with uh, the Brief History of Tim, which was a great band. I loved mixing them. Um, yeah, we we had a thing going at work where we'd make up band names that could be possibly something one time and i know a lot of people do that they we had a running list someone would literally open a drawer and we'd write down whatever band name we came up with but there were a few that kind of stuck around uh standing on a gremlin was one of them that was a good one nice but thanks for everybody who who put questions in here's a here's a funny thing Uh, i plan on i need to make a post this and maybe it'll come out before or not this episode i thought about this the other day there's all these acronym companies, you know, um, whether it's like um, uh, L- uh, MSI or PSAV or whatever, um, and people always have like names for all of them. Um, and I'm, you know, typically, obviously, they're shitting on on them. Um, I- I'm very curious to see all of the acronym names that people have for all of the different sound and production companies that are out there. Um, like, uh, and I'll just throw some of the MSI ones out there as context. So, like, MSI was, um, and again, these are personal opinions. These are just the comments that would come out. So, MSI, um, my sorry income, massively short of intelligence, missing something important, uh, may seem incompetent. Uh, like, so just from one company, there's like four or five PSAV. Um, please, please send another van. Um, uh, do you know of off any hand off the off your top of your head like acronyms of like companies and like and what people would say about them? Bose, all highs, no lows, must be Bose. 
Well, yeah, uh, that's that's slightly different. That's about like literally using the initials of a company and saying what it actually stands for. So, like again, MSI missing something important or PSAV, you know, police send another van. Um, I got my bow shirt on. Is there the is I there one for bows like B O S C? With the uh, oh, buy another buy buy another sound buy other sound equipment. I think is what I heard yeah. about bows. Something like that. Yeah, JBL had one too. I forgot junk but loud. Yep, yep, that was definitely that was definitely one. Um, anyway, I, I'll make a post because it's gonna be fun. Again, in good Justin humor, I'm not shitting on any of these companies. It's just you know, let's, let's have a little fun with it and and see and, and see where it goes. But thanks for hanging out. I'm off yeah, to man. Austin tomorrow, so I don't know when this episode comes out. It'll be I'm in the future somewhere. We're so. always in the future. It's all good. <laughs>